You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. And through it all. Hey guys, it's time for part two of my Robbie Williams interview with Sean Atwood and Jen Hopkins. I think it's a great interview because Robbie is nice, relaxed and charitable with his time. He sat with us for two and a half hours. That's a lot of time to sit with me, Sean Atwood and Jen Hopkins of all people. We are, no, we're good fun, we're good. If you're new to this or don't know much about Robbie Williams, go back a couple of episodes for part one. He's one of the most successful and famous singers or musical acts in the world. Today we talk about his fights with Liam Gallagher of Oasis, his disdain for the paparazzi, his thoughts on David Icke and conspiracy theorists, how not gigging and doing tours in America helped him become Bruce Wayne over there so he can live a normal life and not be Batman. And also what happened when he bumped into Robin Williams, his almost namesake. He also discusses addiction, what it's like to have such extreme wealth and how he deals with enormous fame. Hope you enjoy this. There are some big guests coming up soon. But now you're on the edge a second time with Robbie Williams. You said that you and your bandmates, you thought they were going to be a, you know, a gang tight and it wasn't that way, even though it's become that now. Did you guys fall out at some point then? And what was that over? We, we never fell in. You know, we were of this thing that was happening to us. And there was a love there, but we were strangers. You know, we were we were strangers foisted into this happening. And, um, you know, I, I didn't like how we were treated when we were in the band. And it felt like there was only one person being managed, and that was Gary Barlow. It's like Gary Barlow and the four backing dancers. And I had ambitions and hopes and dreams. You know, what happened within that setup was very much felt like we were second class citizens. And uh, that leads to resentment and it leads to jealousy. And, um, you know, all of those things. And then when I left Take That, it was the 90s and it was heady and it was people attacking people in print and it was the dumb thing and it was interesting, you know. So I, fueled by cocaine and alcohol and resentment, I attacked them at every opportunity that I could. Um, uh, and... Testament to them because of the people that they are, 
they never attacked me back. But I, I wanted that back and forth. It just never came. Gary Barlow's just a very nice man. You know, he's just a very nice man. Did you have any crazy beefs with other celebrities who did attack back? Oasis throughout the years. Yeah, that's, you know, I've I've offered to fight Liam Gallagher a couple of times. And, <laughs> And uh, like yeah, fist fight him, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I was, I wanted to do. I, I, I spoke to Barry Hearn, which one's the son, the boxing promoter. And I, I, I wanted to, um, I wanted to properly because I'd seen these YouTubers boxing, Eddie Hearn, yeah. I'd seen these YouTubers boxing, and I thought I'd like to test myself and do that. But there's only one person that I wanted to fight. And that was Liam, but he wouldn't fight me. That being said, to, um, just to wrap up that, because I don't want that to start up all over again. Look, look Liam Gallagher. Please for him that everything's going really well for him. And, you know, he's an incredible rock star, an incredible personality, and the world is richer for him being in it. So I'll just qualify that with that. Um, yeah, that was... That was probably the only, the only uh, public beefs. Yeah. Are you mates now then with the Gallagher's? No, no, I, I don't know them. I don't know them. They don't. Do you listen to his music? I do. Yeah, I do. Yeah. Um, I like I like Liam's music. The last album, there's like five or six songs on it that are just absolutely incredible. You know that they, because you know I, I'm really, I'm really competitive. And um, I want to know what people are doing. And I want to know what the people around me from my time in the sun in in every way are up to and, and how it's going for them and where I should be in the pecking order of things. And, you know, I, I, I see it very much as a, a sport, I suppose. There's the ethereal stuff when you sit down and, cast your net out and try to create these beautiful pop songs that might mean somebody to someone, uh, might cuddle them or, you know, might soothe them. Um, and then there's these other songs that I do are full of bravado. Um, but then after that, you know, it's a battle. I want to win. I always want to win. You know, when, when they ask like Harry Kane, like, were you aware of that record you've just got or whatever? And they'll always be like, oh, I wasn't aware of that. I mean, are you, you were you aware of the latest album? That's now, I think, the most solo album number ones in the UK history. Yeah, I and we, my team, achieved it. And what actually happens is you get to exhale because it's very important for me that I get to have my creative endeavors met positively. And for my creative endeavors to be met positively, I have to have some form of relevancy. And my form of relevancy in this particular week has come by having another number one album that is beaten or equaled Elvis. And, um, you know, it bodes well because I'm very vulnerable and a very fragile. And you take away fra you take away relevancy from Robbie Williams's life. Um, who and what am I? <laughs> you know, it, it, that that leaves me that leaves me scared. 
I don't I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to have to find out. There's no sense of pride and a puffing out of the chest. It's just a relief that you're that I'm still somebody. Have you ever had to box any paparazzi? What's the lens they've gone to get close to you? Uh yeah, no. I, I mean, I used to be followed by them 24/7 and um I was too smart to hit one of them because <laughs> it would have cost me money. Although I wanted to um you know they they are they are sociopaths of the highest order that um cannot hear you and uh will not hear you and have no empathy and i they are the 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 sort of flying monkeys of the witch of the west and uh they feed off trauma trauma takes a shit and they come searching through that shit uh, trying to find out how they can salvage and make money from it. I just find that a really bizarre job. I, I've always found that a bizarre job. The idea of ever even interviewing someone who doesn't want to be interviewed by me, let alone sticking a camera in their face, getting into their lives and things. But you have empathy. A little bit. A little bit, but you have more than them, <laughs> which, is, which is quite yeah. easy to achieve. But um, you understand that that wouldn't be a nice thing to do or or a human thing to do. Uh, mm. to behave in that way but they don't have that human instinct they have something else that makes them that gives them the ability to behave in that way it's bizarre it is bizarre what was that what is that part of why you quit in 2006 was it the attention paparazzi and all that that was a lot to do with it yeah that was a lot to do with it i i i set about dismantling and sabotaging my career um <laughs> Because the, the spotlight that shone on me at the time, I found too intense. And um, what happened was 2006, I was just like, do you know what? I know how I win this because uh, me being competitive again, <laughs> I just sit on this sofa and I never leave. And that's what I'm going to do. So I bought this cashmere caftan that I got in Morocco and I built, uh, I, 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 um, I uh, uh, grew a beard and looked like a serial killer. And I I ate honey Dijon kettle chips for dinner and watched The Real Housewives of Beverly Hills and didn't move for three years. And um, by the time I came out in like 2009, I came out the house, they'd all gone. And I was like, fellas, fellas, lads. <laughs> so what I, what I set out to achieve, I actually did. Uh, and the spotlight moved on to other people. And um, there is a lot of me that is very grateful to have passed me for having done that. But then there's a lot of me too that's still full of ego and wanted to be the king of the world. So had you seen uh, Sean's channel before you came on? Did you know yeah. much about it? Yeah. yeah. Rob's into conspiracies, aren't you? I, that's, that's my jam. Look, you know, I've... Um, I've seen things that shouldn't exist. Therefore, everything's on the table. And um, I do believe that my I have an open mind. Time and research and experience has led me to not having my mind so open that it falls out. You know, there's that, that saying, that, that phrase. Um, everything's on the table, but I believe nothing. I just look at things and go, that's interesting, you know, uh, and that may be the case. But, um, you know, I, I 
I don't run away thinking I've got the answers just because I did some research by watching some YouTube videos, which a lot of people do. They sort of, you know, they sort of get carried away with the what is and what isn't happening in the world. And that, you know, somebody that's behind the scenes, I want to go, no, that's not happening. It's not happening. So wake up, wake up. Some of it is, but that isn't. I can tell you that isn't. Um, yeah, uh, uh, but it's not my place. It's not my place to let people know either way. And then I had a thought the other day was like, hey, what if it, all of this is chaos? It's just chaos. And that fucking terrified me. The, there's no conspiracies and it's just chaos. I'd rather have the conspiracies <laughs> than I would have it just be chaos. Because if you sit with the fact that it is chaos for long enough, it's actually paralyzing. Have you sure. met David Icke or read his books? I have met David Icke and I did read his books. And um, yeah, that was, there, there used to be this bookstore in Los Angeles called the Bodhi Tree. And it was, it was just the best store ever. It was like, you know, when Harry Potter goes and gets his wand in that, that, <laughs> that he walks through that alleyway and then he ends up in this menagerie of places that sell all sorts of potions and owls and stuff. It was like wandering into one of those stores. And I was sure that the secrets of the universe existed in one, if not a hundred of these books. So I bought them all. And um, one of them was, was David Icke. And I found that all fascinating. And then, you know, I, I I, it, I always find it fascinating when I find out where his research for things comes from. It's like, oh, he's got that from there and he's got that from there. He's made that, you know, the reptilian agenda and all of that business, whatever, that, that sits. If you take that <laughs> out of the equation, there's some very interesting nuggets there that may or may not be happening. And like I said before, that doesn't necessarily mean that I believe in anything. I don't. I'm just a naive scholar that's trying to figure out whether there's magic or not. I think you, you've hit on something um, really interesting there because I was just interviewing a skeptic uh, called Michael Shermer the other day and he said uh, exactly what you just said before, which is one of the reasons so many of us like to believe in conspiracy theories is because the alternative that... There's no one in charge. Nobody knows what they're doing. We're all just sort of bumping around is terrifying. It would appear that we are closer to everybody just bumping around than this whole magic tapestry that people like me have found themselves learning about since the internet was ex since the ex internet existed. I can point to it being bumbling idiots more than I can point to it being reptiles. Yeah. <laughs> there's more evidence that it's bumbling idiots. Yeah, I think so. I want to there's one thing um I picked up on that you said a few years ago, which is that you'd love to be famous in the US so that Jennifer Aniston knows who you are. And I just wonder does Jennifer Aniston know who you are? And and is it not a relief for someone as famous as you and you know all around the world to have somewhere where you can walk around and not be as mobbed? Yeah, I, I I said that an awful long time ago. That was before the wife. Um, <laughs> I, what happened was I was promoting an album 
in the States. I think it may have been my first or second album. And, uh, you know, are you dealing with somebody that's mentally ill? I had severe anxiety, severe depression. I couldn't find any joy in anything. And um, it would seem that the job that I'd chosen was quite toxic and was exasperating all of these ailments. And I got to the States and I was like in a radio station in Milwaukee or wherever it was. And I sort of had an epiphany and I'm like, I've just sold 7 million albums. I've got several million in the bank. What, why do I want more of this? It's just going to make things worse. And I stopped working in the States straight away and bought a house there. And I've never done any work in the States ever since. And uh, I get to be Bruce Wayne in Beverly Hills and I get to be Batman in the rest of the world. And uh, it's, saved me it's uh yeah it's given me the space uh to be able to be a human and um it's another one of those decisions made though where there is the grown-up that's driving the car that thanks me for doing that and then there's egomaniac in the back who's going yeah but you know if you'd have done that then you could have had this that and the other and you could be this and you know Rocky would know who you are. What the fuck does any of that mean, though? You know? do, do, you, do you think it was because your your name's so close to Robin Williams? Do you think that's an issue? What, with, with not breaking the states? Yeah. Uh, no, I bumped into him once. Well, I say bumped into him. Uh, he was uh, in the same plaza where I was shopping, and I did want to go over to him and go, do you ever get there? Because I get yeah. there. And I didn't. I didn't. There's been a oh. there's been a couple of times when I turned up at restaurants in LA where they've thought Robin Williams was coming, and then they get me and they're disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> does oh. does money just become a number, Rob? I mean, once you can go certain restaurants and you can travel the world and you can buy whatever house you want, does the rest just become a number after that? No, no. That's that's the that's the trick about money that. Um, I don't think many people know you're always on the gerbil wheel. You're always on the gerbil wheel. And um, the more money you get, the more you spend and the bigger toys you have and the more expansive your life becomes and the more people that you employ, you know, you become terrified to give any of it up because it makes your life easier. What happens is you get a penchant and a taste for the finer things in life. And they're all ridiculously expensive. I've got friends that are billionaires and on the quiet, I'll just go, do you ever have financial insecurity? And they'll all go to a man and a woman. Yes. Yes, I do. Every day, all day. That's the big secret. There's a big secret because it doesn't matter who you are or how much you've got. You're always scared of losing it or you're always scared of abusing it. And, um, you're never, you're never sure where what is going and to who and how long this will last. If I get this thing and I go on that thing and I eat this thing and I wear this thing and, you know, it's, um, yeah, I have financial insecurity and, um, I, you know, it's a bizarre thing to express. But I do ask 
the people that are above me in a different stratosphere and they have it you know so that's the big secret that's the big secret so does making it become an addiction no because i'm never thinking about the paycheck i'm never thinking you know it becomes something that happens afterwards and i go oh cool that's that's amazing great i can facilitate our lifestyle but it's all to do with not wanting to let me down not wanting to let my audience down no matter what it is that i do you know i'm there to facilitate a good time for them i'm not there to be entertained they're there to be entertained and money is a secondary but you know you have to have a purpose and you have to have a reason to go to work and since i've seen my job and my life as work um everything makes sense when daddy leaves the house daddy goes to work and my four children have given me immense purpose and immense drive as i've said before my my family were cannon fodder and they were pit workers and bog marchers and you know can, canal diggers and you know uh my grandma's school report said she will be fit to work for the people over her fit to work for the people over her that's all she was going to do she's going to leave school and work under somebody mm-hmm. and that's one person ago and i me that's done what i've done i want to see how far that i can take this you know it's like i want to see how far this can go and what i can create driving force behind that is my family and my family's family and my family's family family and also the driving force behind that is creativity and a drive to be a success with what i'm creating it gives me purpose but the check isn't the driving force cristiano ronaldo when he gets on the football field isn't thinking about his 500 grand a week he's thinking about his purpose and what he needs to do and how he needs to achieve greatness uh in whatever forum i am in in whatever mega talents i have i'm trying to at least achieve greatness and if money comes because of that then great how have you adapted the crazy life into your family life because you are quite the family man these days i think it's it's only crazy when i go to work you know and, and my life consists of doing nothing for several months and then everything for a short period of time and then nothing again for several months so you know i'm i'm just i'm just daddy i'm 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 bruce wayne you know um and then i get exhausted because work tends to demand an awful lot of me for a very short period of time so you know i i could be a better father during these moments but i only have enough energy to promote the album and to do the show the two do mix well you know i'm i'm in a monogamous relationship with my wife i'm a good boy i want to be a good father and role model to my children and i want to provide for them uh, a the most amazing life we've we we're doing well every day's a school day you know the kids the kids need to see me so they're homeschooled right now the wife thinks that they should have a high school experience i don't think so at all i just want them with me at all times they make they make everything for me make sense and uh yeah i i'm 
I'm in love. I'm totally in love. This is a question that I suppose I could ask anyone with your level of fame. Let's say you and the family want to go away to like Paris or something. You want to go to Disneyland. What do you do? Because if you do that, you're just going to be mobbed. You can't just go on EasyJet, surely. I don't think there's like posher planes that go to like local destinations. What do you do? We were in Disneyland two weeks ago. Oh, oh well, fair enough. Yeah, we were in Paris and... Um, Covid masks. Absolutely. <laughs> I was going to say, did you wear a disguise? Yeah, the you- the masks. The, those masks in Covid have just made uh, more things possible than ever were before. So you know, we went to Disneyland in Paris on a very very busy weekend. We stayed at the hotel there um, at Disneyland. Had the most incredible time. Created some incredible memories as a family. And I had my cap on and I had my sunglasses on and I had a COVID mask. And, you know, out of uh, 8,000 people that were there, maybe two people recognised who I was. Hey, it's Andrew. If you're enjoying Heretics, there's another podcast I want to recommend to you, especially if climate change, global conflicts and an upcoming election are making you feel like we're on the brink of disaster. What Could Go Right is hosted by Progress Network founder Zachary Carabell and executive director Emma Varvalukas. On What Could Go Right, the hosts sit down with expert guests to discuss the world's most pressing issues without resorting to pessimism or despair that we hear so often. Instead, they look back at how far society has come and look forward at what it will take to achieve an even brighter future. Is progress on the way? They may not have all the answers, but on What Could Go Right, they're asking the key questions. Tune in to hear interviews with upcoming guests like writer Coleman Hughes, CNN host Fareed Zakaria and economist Alison Schrager. If you're looking for a weekly dose of optimistic ideas from smart people, join them every Wednesday on What Could Go Right, available wherever you get your podcasts. Did you fly EasyJet or Ryanair or something? Uh, Well, we were actually already in Paris. So I was, uh, we'd been there for quite some time. The wife, the wife thinks she's French and she absolutely (laughs) adores Paris. So we spend, we spend a lot of time there. What do your parents make of your meteoric rise? And did their lives change as well as the money came in? I think it's very complicated for them. Um, Complicated and wonderful and weird because... On a very basic level, my mum, whose job it is to nurture, was dealing with an alcoholic son and an addict son. So, you know, whether that person is famous or not, that's all that they're dealing with. And uh, that was her and my story from 17 until 26, 25. Um, My dad wears it very very well you know he's he loves it and he's incredibly proud of me he's also been on tour with me and done every single show with me for the last 15 years comes on sings with me uh but unfortunately he's got parkinson's now and he's Mm. he's nearly homebound so he can't come do that anymore um yeah i think that my dad loves it and my mum's found it difficult to deal with and there was that i mean i think it was misunderstood when you when you said i'm rich beyond my wildest dreams it became this big famous thing but i gather that was a joke that was misunderstood right yeah what happened was actually what was happening in my mind was 
I'm this charlatan that's taken up a space in the music industry just by sheer fluke of being auditioning for a boy band and getting in. And now I'm being given the biggest record contract in the history of music. I I, I couldn't, I, I, it didn't, you know, and um, I just, I think what, what does a person behave like and perform like that's, that's being paid 80 million, you know, how does, I couldn't fathom it. So, you know, a lot of the time when I'm scared, I act with bravado. I think, I think everybody does actually. Bravado is a, a cover for insecurities. And um, I went round to sign this contract and the paparazzi were there and it was the record company and an inking of a contract. And I thought to myself, all that's missing is like a giant check from the lottery, you know, yeah. with this 80 million quid on it, me going like that. <laughs> and uh, I think my, my, my memory is that the paparazzi were like, give us a quote, Robbie, give us a quote. Now there's a lady that in 1979 or 1980 won the pools and she won a million or so. And it was a big win, the biggest win. And she was asked what she was going to do with the money. And she said, I'm going to spend, spend, spend. I thought she said, I'm rich beyond my wildest dream, <laughs> which is what came out of my mouth, thinking that people will understand that I'm aping this lady. And um, yeah, that it was, it, yeah, it, 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 erroneously, um, that's what I said. And then it stuck with me. And then I, I used to have this flat on the 15th floor in um, Chelsea, Chelsea Harbour. And the, the windows and the, the curtains were closed one day. And I, I just woke up with something happening outside. I'm like, hey, I'm on the 15th floor. What is it? And, then, and then I heard, I'm rich beyond my wildest dreams. <laughs> and I went to open the curtain and it was a window cleaner on one of those things. And it was just like... <laughs> <laughs> did he know it was you then in, in behind the curtains yeah, yeah yeah but he didn't know that i was actually in bed listening to what he said so i know, <laughs> went into, uh, I know that it went oh. into uh you know the 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 public as one of those moments where i said one of those things so i gotta ask do you actually own a private island no i don't own a private island no 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 mm. you live down down the road from Brittany, didn't didn't you? When all the, I mean, the paparazzi stuff you were touching on before, that was when it was at its maddest, wasn't it? Yeah, I used to go past, like outside of mine, we both lived on gated communities and outside of mine, there was like several famous people, you know, in mine, Charlie Sheen, Tom Jones, Paris Hilton, Christina Aguilera, Shaquille O'Neal, and so on and so forth and other people, you know. And there, so there would be, six as you would turn out of the gates just waiting for one of us and um and so it would be but then you go past britney's and there'd be the gates and the road and then a rough piece of land and on that rough piece of land there'd be anything between 10 to 20 cars just waiting for her oh. and uh yeah I, I mean i know what those moments felt like for me and i know how unbearable they were I could only imagine what that kind of scrutiny must have felt like. 
Did you meet Brittany? Brittany lived in another gay community. Yeah, I met several of those neighbours and we got on perfectly fine. Actually, Slash used to live across the road from me. And um, there was there was like, it's Slash. And uh, there was one day I, I saw him and, you know, I, I, he spent some time in Stoke-on-Trent. He, he came from Stoke-on-Trent, weirdly enough. And like, I'm from Stoke and I'm Slash and me. And um, it was one of those moments where you rise above yourself and you like just notice what's happening. I'm sort of leaning against his wall and he's leaning against his wall and we're moaning about the home, the housing association. <laughs> and I'm like, I, I just was like, you are with Slash in Los Angeles moaning about the housing association. <laughs> What is your life? This is mental. I, I heard you speaking recently about having lots of people working in your house and how strange that is to wake up and like, you know, it's not your family, there are people working there. Yeah, uh, we, we had a, a rather large house in Beverly Hills. And um, yeah, because you make a bit of money and then you wonder what you do with it. And then you can give it to these people that are supposed to grow your money for you. And then after a while you go, I don't trust these people. I, I don't think they're bothered. What should we do? And then you think, well, I'll, I'll put it in bricks and mortar because if you put it in bricks and mortar, if the arse falls out of the world, at least you'll have walls to live in. So I bought this massive place in Beverly Hills. And um, what I didn't understand in my naivety was what it takes to run something like that and what it does take to run something like that. it's like having a mega yacht but on land and um you know i won't, I won't go but I, i'd come down and i'd look through the kitchen window and there'd be 11 cars in the car park and none of them would be ours and they'd be everybody that works at the house and um i never had the opportunity to completely relax into my newfound surroundings because ultimately I'm from Stoke-on-Trent and I know that 11 cars in the car park that work at your house isn't right. And uh, because every one of those cars is costing you money. Uh, so you living in this house is costing you money. And um, yeah, we solved that. Do you go back to Stoke-on-Trent? Have you ever, for example, done a talk at your high school or got a high school reunion or anything like that? I was there yesterday. I was doing, uh, I was at Port Vale and um, I was doing an interview for Apple Music, for Apple Music yesterday. And um, I've started going back to Port Vale because the chairperson is a wonderful lady. Uh, she's absolute magic. Her name's Carol. And I, I, I think that my football club has got the best chairperson uh man or woman that could be available and she's she's just intoxicating as a person you just want to be around her because she emanates positivity and safety and kindness and she's mm. doing an awful lot for charity so i'm i'm back in the fold i'm i'm at port vale when i can get to port vale and i'm in stoke when i can be in stoke would you ever buy one of the clubs like ryan reynolds bought wrexham didn't he i can't afford a football club you know, it's like if if I if it was my only thing, I could afford a football club, but it's not my only thing. You know, um, the outgoings, it, it's a it's a hefty hobby to have. 
And I wonder what's in it for them. You know, what's, you know, so is yeah. there, is there 10 million from Amazon or Netflix for the documentary? What, what, what is it that, you know, they're, cause you know, they're very, very busy people and they live in another side of the world and they have families of their own. Why are they getting on a plane and coming to Wales? I'm not knocking it because I think it's beautiful <laughs> and I think it's wonderful. And, you know, I have total admiration for both of those two people. And Ryan Reynolds, I, I absolutely love, you know, it's like I've got a massive talent crush on him. But if I can figure out why they're doing it, then maybe I'll do it too. <laughs> well, that's what I wanted to talk about, your upcoming deal with Netflix on your docuseries. Are we able to talk about that? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know what it is yet. I know it's a um, four-hour documentary. Um, it's four, four episodes. Um, uh, we I had a meeting with the director last week, and we passionately want to break form with what has, whatever's happened with other documentaries because, you know, I'm not interested or excited about uh, archive footage and a talking head interview because, you know, it's boring and it's been done to death. I'd like the form to be different. And I don't think you can have a four-hour documentary about me and just have it be archive footage and chatting. Um, I think that would bore people. And the last thing that I want to do with anything that I do is to bore people. I want them to be entertained hmm. and I want them to, um, felt good about, um, investing that time wondering about me. What do you think what? of the death of Amy Winehouse and what advice do you give to young people who are battling demons and have got addiction issues? Because I think it's important. You know, your story is so inspirational. You've gone through the hellfire and you've been become hugely successful. What are the tools you could pass down to young people who are suffering in this day and age? Well, I'm at the other side of the tunnel. I can go back into that tunnel whenever I so choose. You know, you're never fully recovered or safe. But I can tell people there is peace and there is a safety and there is a modicum of trust that you can have in yourself and there is a reason to live and persevere unfortunately when you are dealing with addictions and when you are dealing with the mental illnesses attached to them like depression anxiety and whatever it takes an awful long time to come out the other end but you didn't get there in a day. You know, I, I was told this, that, you know, what happens is one day a brick appears and then next day two bricks appears and so on and so forth before, uh, and before you know it, you're under this massive castle or incredibly huge wall that you've built for yourself and it's impossible to get out, especially in a day. It's just, that's just not possible. I would just say simply, there is a reason to live and there is a reason to live sober. And there is so much to do and so much to be achieved. And, you know, you have so much less to worry about um, when you're out of your addiction and being a functioning, I wouldn't say fully functioning human being. 
I would suggest that you take the help that is given to you. Um, you listen to the people that love you. I see some people out and about that you know, won't be helped. And that's tragic. Um, I, for one, didn't want to be in any pain anymore. I, I wanted to be out of that pain. And I wanted to learn and understand why I was doing this to myself and how it could end. I didn't know the journey was going to be so laborious and trudging through bleak soup and all of that stuff. Um, but, you know, life is fucking good. And I do find joy in things and I do get excited and I do have purpose and you, you all can achieve that. You know, it's like, I know that I live in rarefied conditions where a lot is afforded to me that isn't afforded to a lot of folks, but it doesn't matter. You know, I've seen people in and around the rooms that help people to get well, that are existing above and beyond their wildest dreams and getting to achieve things that they never thought would be possible. It is possible to be well. It is possible to love and be loved. And it is possible to be looking forward to things and knowing that you'll turn up for them and be the best version of yourself that you can be. Um, it genuinely is a beautiful thing, but it takes fucking time and Jesus Christ. It takes so long. Um with some people, it doesn't know. And you might be that person, whoever it is that I'm talking to down this YouTube channel. Speaking of what you're talking about now, um, aptly titled Better Man biopic. Are you, how involved are you in that? Uh, I'm very, I'm very involved. Um, Michael Gracie that helmed The Greatest Showman. It was a huge movie, massive success. Is uh, a mate of mine and asked me if he could do a biopic about me. And uh, yeah, yeah, of course you can, wow. Michael. Yeah. And I sat down and I, I told him my stories and uh, I told him my stories for 12 hours. Um, so the whole script is in my words and is my voice. Um, but down to who is cast in whatever roles. Um, yeah, no, um, it's my music. It's my music. It's my words. John O'Davies is, is, is you. Yeah, John O'Davies is me doing a great job as me. I can't wait to see that. Yeah, it's. I, I've seen some of the rushes and uh, there's quite a big idea for the film. Once again, it breaks with type and it's not your usual. You know, it's um, it, it's it's got every opportunity to be a success. And for somebody that doesn't like anything they've ever done, it takes a lot for me to say that. So does it not scare you bringing your children into the public eye? Uh, they're in the public eye, whether they want to be or not. Does and it not scare you? Yeah, absolutely terrifies me. From 16, the press are allowed to do whatever they want with them. You know, at the moment in this country, in the UK, they're not allowed to show their faces. But after they become 16, they're, they're, they're public property. And it's difficult to know what to do. Especially, as I've mentioned Teddy before, she's my 10-year-old that just wants to be a performer. And there are moments that I really want to have with her. You know, I want that moment where I'm on stage with her, singing with her and having that 
daddy daughter moments and i get to show the world this beautiful creature that i'm incredibly proud of uh and she gets to you know it's like it, it is difficult to know what to do do you introduce her to this because this is what you're going to do do you get used to it i don't know every day's a school day at the minute you know their their privacy is ensured at least in the uk uh, but then they become, then they become other. That being said, I, I love their mom, and their home life is um, incredible and loving and safe. And if I could choose to be anyone, I'd choose to be any one of my children. They have the best life. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's it is it is it is a conundrum. Um, obviously, I never want them to have the internet. I never want them to be able to read any comments about themselves. I know what damage that does. I know what online trolling has done to me and my psyche. And it it pains me to think that they would ever inhabit anything that feels like that. What about the classmates? Do they get treated differently at school? No, because they're in posh school. It's like, you know, we're, but even we're, though there's a hierarchy, though, isn't there? Dude, dude, yeah. we're the poorest at school. It's not like, <laughs> it's not, it's not, it's not, it's not or Honestly, we're the poor relations. Believe me. Are there other sort of celebrity parents? Are there, are you at parents' evening and there's like, you know, here's, I can't think of an English celebrity right now, but you know what I mean. No, well, at the moment, they, they're homeschooled, but they do. They do have a school that they go to when they're in Los Angeles and mm-hmm. there are there are different places where they can find being social and having a semi school life. But um, yeah, when whenever they're there, it's like, you know, P. Diddy's the dad of the one above and you know, it's 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 all that stuff. It's like I I and like financially I pale into insignificance when it comes to these big hitters that have got the kids at the schools that my kids frequent. When you were living in LA, did you sort of, was it natural to sort of group together with other Brits out there? Did you know David Beckham? Did you cross over with him? My house is basically the Isle of Wight in the middle of Beverly Hills. <laughs> it's just British people and then my <laughs> wife and my mother-in-law and her boyfriend. Oh yeah, and my, uh, yeah, my, my mother-in-law, my brother-in-law everybody else is british everybody can we talk about your podcast at home with the williams i can't say it this is yeah you haven't posted on a while but you did it through lockdown yeah we did it i had a christmas album out and um it was a way to promote the christmas album and me and my wife got to work together and we we basically had domestics in the confines of the safety that neither of us could take it too far because it was all being recorded. That wasn't the basis of the podcast, but that's what it actually turned into. Remember when you did that and I didn't like it? (laughs) Remember when you did that and I hated it? Yeah, I remember it. (laughs) But that's, that's the thing is about your line of work and, and what you're doing, which is, something that I'd really love to do, but I don't have the time to be 
persistent and also um, create that content week after week, day after day. It's a full-time job. You you guys have a full-time job. I also have a full-time job. And um, as much as I would like to think that I would be a good YouTuber or a good podcaster, I don't have the time right now. Is there anything you know, else you aspire to be outside of music? Yeah, I, I think I was mentioning before, I've, I've written a TV show, a, a dark comedy. I'd like that to be a success. got this idea for a talent show. I'd like that to be a success. So what's your story arc for your dark comedy? I don't want to give it away, but it's good. It's really, really, really good. Is it, it based involves- in Stoke? Yeah. yeah it is. Oh, yeah. great. Wow. <laughs> Makes me think of that. Um, Steve Merchant recently had one back in in Bristol, which is where I am now, and uh, it had that real feel to it. Well, we're almost at two hours, Rob. You've been very generous with your time. I'm not going to push you. it here. Um, if you've got any any final stuff you'd like to say to the viewers, um, no, because I've got to watch Married at First Sight. Is anybody else watching? Oh, Married I love that. <laughs> Sean would have a clue. I love are you, it. Are you up to date? No, don't no spoilers, please. Because I'm not going to come away for a few days. <laughs> Is it getting brutal? Yeah, it's just a classic, classic season. It's it's um, it's uh, very very good TV. You're not watching Jeffrey Dahmer then. My drummer's watching the Jeffrey Dahmer thing, and I don't want to go to bed with that. That's not. No. Oh, it's dark. No. So yeah, many people. Mm. Yeah, yeah I, I, I'm currently away from the house rehearsing up in Birmingham and I would rather go to bed on conflict uh, designed by a reality TV show for people that have just gotten married that have never met <laughs> around a dinner table that are too drunk than actually watch anything to do with Jeffrey Dahmer before I go to <laughs> Amen. <laughs> well, huge thank you, Rob. You know, it's been yeah. an absolute blast. If there's anything we can ever do for you, you just please let us know and you enjoy. Well, let's, let's, let's keep in contact because, you know, I'd, I'd like to maybe come on and be uh, be a host with you. Yes. Can I? No, no. Warrington people, they, they were our mortal enemies in Witness. We were the chemical manufacturing they? town. They were the wire manufacturing town. So it was the chemics versus the wires. And at Did the rugby you? league matches, they'd be standing Braveheart-style battles and the police had set the dogs on us and everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I was with I was with all the, the rugby lads uh, from Warrington, the ones that used to go and watch the, watch the rugby. That's why I was safe at the nightclubs. Yeah, <laughs> it was. Was it Mr. Smith's too? There. Yeah, the Hitman and Her came out of Mr. Smith's, and there was Legends as well. It was a rave club out of Warrington? Did you ever get to that one? No, I didn't. Did you ever go to Quadrant Park? Oh, Quadrant Park was like my mecca. After it was the state earlier on in Liverpool, they shut that down. Everyone started to go to Quadrant Park, and yeah, it was. I had some good nights in in the quad. Yeah, and you went to Cream, right? No, because I went to America in '91. Oh, whereabouts so we, in America did you go to? I was in Phoenix, Arizona for about 16, 17 years. Oh, right. You went straight to Phoenix. I know your story, obviously, but I, I couldn't remember where you went to. Phoenix. Did you gig in Phoenix? No, no. I, I Probably, but I can't remember. It was 25 years ago. Beautiful place. Grand Canyon. You could see all the stars and everything. Oh, it's, yeah. 
I yeah no I, I've I've rehabbed in Arizona so I'm oh very- in in Tucson in Tucson yeah. Yeah, yeah, my, my girlfriend who got me to shoot up heroin with her she ended up in that exact same rehab cottonwood and, or whatever it is and, and, and she told me about it and I bought shares in it and they went up five hundred percent yeah that that's yeah that's another story rehabs <laughs> and 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 profitable rehabs. Next so, Health, I think, was it, the company that owned it. Right, right, yeah. right, right. Um, oh, wow. So, Jen, did you get broken into or something the other day? I did, yes. Yeah. Somebody uh, broke, well, they broke my bedroom window. Very that's late. Scary. Yes, yeah. It's pretty, oh, that's, that's why I'm currently away at the moment. I'm not at my home. So I'm away to stay with friends. Is that something to do with something that you've said or is that just a random thing or? No, we think it's yes. Yeah, I don't think it's anything to do with the YouTube world. That oh, that's so, well, that's good. Yeah, what, yeah. What's your story, Jen? What's my story? Yeah. Uh, what would you like to know? Uh, no, how did you end up doing this? Oh, coming on the podcast with Sean. Uh, it started off with me getting to wear one of my uh, hoodies because I've got a organic clothing company business, and then we became really good friends, and then it was. August last year, he came and asked me, and I was I was up for the challenge. So, so you've never done fun. anything like this before? No, and I've got my lucky knickers on tonight, what I wore in my first interview. <laughs> well, I'm, 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 so I, I'm very proud that I must be the jubilee for uh, your lucky knickers. <laughs> you've been my favourite. Yeah. And Andrew, favorite Andrew what's, your, what's your story? So I, I sort of grew up um, uh, idolising Louis Theroux. So I started making documentaries for uh, the BBC and HBO where I'd be on screen. And my sort of big hitter was one about exorcism in Argentina. I mean, it's on YouTube or iPlayer. I think I've seen it. I think I've seen it. So what did you make of the um, the whole exorcism? So the amazing thing was, because I'm, I'm an atheist personally, um, but also I'm really open-minded to whatever, you know, whatever I see, I see. Uh, and the people who got exercised, there were three different women that we exercised and they all got much better because they had things like schizophrenia, bulimia, uh, various mental health, intrusive thoughts like you were speaking about before. That was a big one. So these are all things, you know, that we, we think of as psychological, but they thought of as demons inside them. And this priest was exercising. So they got better. But I went back to Buenos Aires a year later and they were sort of back to the beginning again, which to me implies it was a bit of a placebo suggestion thing. Also, the exorcist was really abusive and he sort of locked me in this room at the end and started screaming at me and I thought he was going to kill me. Why did he do that? Because I was asking questions about his relations with one of the women because he was getting very close with her and she was um, like 18 and he was like, you know, 60 odd. Um, and he wasn't supposed to be like kissing her and he was living upstairs with her. So I was asking a few questions and a few of the clergy were a bit jealous and they were like whispering things to me like, well, he's a bit close with her, that kind of thing. And I got a bit stupid because I didn't think about, even though they're bitching to me, I didn't think about how they were going to then tell him what I said. So there was this moment when he had this big mass, he's quite a famous guy out there. He had tens of thousands of people. It's the middle of nowhere in Buenos Aires at midnight and we go 
in me and my director it's just me and my mate my mate david basically we go in expecting to film the big mass full of exorcisms and then suddenly someone says uh oh andrew can you just come backstage so there's like people like frothing at the mouth in this mass they're all like falling over each other he's he's got the music from the exorcist tubular bells playing in the mass in the church and then in the nave and i go backstage and he's there the exorcist and he's going you've interviewed me i'm now going to interview you just come in here a minute and he wouldn't let my cameraman in and he had a few big blokes with that thing from Jafar, Jafar from Aladdin, the staff. They've all got that and they were sort of hovering over me and for about an hour, just screaming at me, pushing me around this room. And my director's trying to open the door and they're slamming it shut and the guy's just screaming and screaming and screaming. And he's, he's going, why are you asking people about me giving mouth kisses to this girl? And I was like, I, I, I didn't, well, I did, but I didn't mean it like that. And he's going, well, you, and all this stuff. And eventually they did just... Um, let, let us go and as we're leaving i can hear him in the mass of thousands of people and he's going the devil is in here tonight and the, the falklands they took the falklands because we we're british obviously in argentina just mad stuff but yeah we got away eventually wow how, how wow. terrifying <laughs> it was <laughs> i was shaken uh, and and are you from london or are you from bristol i'm from watford just outside london are you any relation to rasgold no i don't know who that is Oh, right. Okay. My, uh, you're Jewish, right? Yeah. My, my wife's, uh, Arkanazi Jewish. Oh, really? He's a Cohen. Yeah. I bet, um, I bet our families know each other. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, that's nice. So by in, in turn, our kids are Jewish too, right? Because the wife is. That's right. That's right. Do they know, do they know they're Jewish? Um, I, I, I believe in passing they do. Yeah. It's an interesting thing because in, it, it's no one knows if it's an ethnicity, a culture, or a religion. You can be an atheist Jew, of course. Uh, and I was reading Christopher Hitchens talking about he found out after his mum committed suicide that she had been Jewish and kept it from them because they were scared of anti-Semitism. And he said it just changed his whole view. He was like 50 years old by this point. It changed his whole view of his life. And he was very happy to hear it, he said. But he, it was a, it's a strange thing to find out. Yeah, I think I became atheist for 10 minutes because I, I watched his, I did my research. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I, I, you know, I'm, I'm, um, I, I, I believe in something. I don't know what that something is. I'm not, mm. I'm not fully atheist. I'm a, I'm a C plus theist. Yeah. You believe in angels, one might say. I do. <laughs> I mean, that is, that is a good point, isn't it? That is a religious song isn't it people don't is it it is a religious song yeah now whether they exist or not who knows but um yeah. i like i like i like my belief in uh archangel michael and archangel gabriel and um yeah that song's about actual angels uh whether it's fantasy or not i care not i i, yeah. I they they exist in my mind Thank you, Robbie Williams. What a legend. Absolute legend. I'm all made up now, listening to his songs all day. I'm just amazed he sat with us for such a long time and asked us questions about our lives. He's seen my exorcism film. He's off on tour now, but go check out his new album. It's brilliant. Some brilliant new versions of all the biggest hits. It's XXV is the name of it. And I'll see you next time. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. 
More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.